0: And so the question I always ask myself is who are going to be the Darwin's of consciousness, the people who go into this lucid dream state and sit and observe and who has the power of of deduction and and observation sufficient to potentially derive, you know, potentially maybe derive the, 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 the fundamental theory of consciousness through that.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Keshav, the following is a conversation with Eric Wahlberg, the co-founder and CEO of Prophetic AI, a firm that allows you to lucid dream at will. We discuss his background and how he arrived at lucid dreaming, The Halo, a device that they are building that allows you to lucid dream at will, the differences and similarities with the movie Inception, the second order effects of this, and what would happen if this gets a wider adoption in the future. And lastly, what he looks for in potential candidates with respect to hiring. I had a great time talking to him and I hope you like listening. I think a lot of what we are and what we do is about our background and stuff we don't know about each other. So and what you're building is something that's really awesome, I love it. And I think a lot of people would want to build something similar but because building something that is very impactful and something that's very hard requires you to get in touch with a lot of people and also your genuine passion about the problem that you're solving so what was it like growing up for you and how did you get started about like how did you arrive on this idea about lucid dreaming I'd love to know
0: that yeah so um you know about about fifty five percent of people self report having had a lucid dream at least once in their life. Um, a smaller percentage of people have a natural proclivity for lucid dreaming. It appears, and I was part of that second second uh, lucky group. Had my first lucid dream when I was twelve years old. You know, it was for sure the most profound experience I had ever had. Um, woke up was like, what What the heck was that? Found early internet forums talking about this thing, lucid dreaming. So I was quite relieved to realize that like other people do this. There's a name for mm-hmm. it, and then and then further in university, actually got into like the, the neuroscience and the research around it, primarily through a guy, uh, a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Labarge, whose PhD at Stanford in the topic, uh, you know, really kicked off the cognitive scientific and neuroscientific study of the brain state in 1980. Um, additionally, Stephen Labarge developed a number of techniques that you could use to improve your capacity for lucidity in dreams. Um, the the, you know, the namely things like reality checking, which is what I did, where I wore a digital watch and would yeah. look at the digital watch and every time while I'm awake, say, "Am I awake or am I in a dream?" And the reason is is that if you develop this habit of looking at your digital at your digital watch. You will do it in a dream and ask yourself that question because that's what you do. But then the difference will be that you'll look at the numbers when you're in a dream and the numbers will be all, you know, garbled together and so, and so forth. And that would be your telltale sign. Oh, wait, no, Eric, you're in a dream. And this was very effective for me. I was probably having two lucid dreams a week um, at my Zenith, probably when I was like 19, something like that. And, um, but, the, but the problem is, is that, you know, I, I got, uh, you know, I, I entered the workforce and it's very hard to maintain all these behaviors and routines and it kind of fell back into my, my equilibrium of kind of like two lucid dreams a month or something like that. Um, but it was still, you know, a very big part of my life, you know, in terms of the profundity of those experiences, my yearning to want to enter that, you know, a, a lucid dream. And you know my career is, is is kind of very broad and varied. You know I spent my career kind of ping ponging between uh, the New York City and Israeli tech and venture ecosystems. I've done everything from uh, you know in, in, you know on the <coughs> excuse me on the investment side in energy, machine learning, robotics to running accelerators for twenty eight foreign governments to working for boring B two B SaaS companies, um, starting helping start VC funds in the psychedelic space and. I uh, was the first employee at Praxis, which is a private city building company. Um, so I'm a hopelessly curious person, Keshav, going an inch deep and a mile wide.
1: Okay. And
0: in, in 2018, I was living in Jerusalem. And it's a great place to be for this type of act, uh, exercise, which is I said, well, I should really think about ultimate questions, right? Um, yeah. Because if you're working on an ultimate question, you really can't get distracted. Um because you, know, you know, people have been trying to solve those questions for millennia and not, not succeeded. So you can, it, really, it can really capture your focus for a lifetime. And, and what is consciousness was the question I was most interested in. And I realized that lucid dreaming is this vector to potentially be able to solve that question for the reason being that a lucid dream is a conscious experience where there's very little to no input of sensory information. And so I call it like the particle accelerator for consciousness because it's like, you know, you use all these large magnets at the the LHC in Switzerland to kind of create this like vacuum like thing and smash these particles together to try to discover things like the Higgs boson. And I thought we could do the same thing with lucid dreaming, but, but, but to solve, you know, the question of what is consciousness. Now, you know, and so that's kind of how I got really into it and why I've been so gung ho and passionate about it because, you know, my north star is solving this age-old question of what is consciousness uh the induction and stabilization of lucid dreaming through technology is simply the way in which i think we can do that
1: yeah i love that you uh, said a line that prometheus stole fire from the gods uh
0: and now the prophetic will uh, steal the dreams of the prophets if I, could just, if I could just say, Keshav, real quick, you know, so the name of the company comes from that same period of time where I was in Jerusalem reading a lot of theology, as one does when you live in that city. And, you know, it's like whether it's Abraham or Muhammad or Buddha, these prophets received their prophetic wisdom in their dreams. And that quote uh, of Prometheus, still fire from the gods, right, like, you know, think about it, like with fire, humanity, you know, started this journey of, of technological improvement of the material... Uh, world, um, yeah. and so it's very proper. And so then I was like, okay, well, okay. So we stole that from the gods. What could we take from the prophets? And it, and it's it's their ability yeah, yeah. of uh, of this prophetic wisdom in these dreams. And I think, frankly, in the same way that we built a world of material abundance via you know stealing fire, I think we can build a, a world of I guess qualia abundance, uh, yeah. or the expli you know uh, you know by stealing dreams from the prophets. So that that's yeah. kind of why I love that phrase.
1: What I love most about lucid dreaming is that, you know, uh, let's say you're on a random walk uh, and you're just just walking in a park someday and kind of from uh, magically some idea appears in your brain and then uh, that idea, then sometimes it happens that it becomes your north star and that you start pursuing it. I think lucid dreaming and what you mentioned as the watch uh, uh, from the research is potentially an interface to consciousness uh, and that's what I love the most I think we can if we build something like the halo which lets people lucid dream we can then but I'm most interested in allowing people to think thoughts that weren't possible before uh, and also arri- helping them arrive at thoughts that that were possible but much faster so you could decrease the thought loop that uh, people people are uh, people ge- generally have and also, let's say, if someone is looking on a really, really hard problem, sometimes they close their eyes and, like, uh, uh, like close their eyes and think about it very hard. I think we could shorten that thought loop uh, using something like lucid dreaming. So, it's probably like some, let's say you're playing a game and you get a hint uh, that this is how you solve this puzzle. Uh, and you could get a hint for uh, things you can apply in real life. That's something that, that fascinates me the most. So, what are sure. some things that you think are could be a good unlock for lucid dreaming apart from what I mentioned.
0: You know, the, the, the history of dreams and discovery are, 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 is quite long. Um, some really yeah. great examples, both in creative and scientific pursuits. So, you know, Salvador Dali famously, right, like painted in his dreams, which is what gave them their surreal quality. Yeah. Um, Sarasen Ramanujan, probably the most prolific mathematician, pure mathematician of the 20th century, famously, got, you know, did his mathematics in his dreams. And uh, you know he was famous because he had these. I think it's two notebooks of these infinite series. These things called infinite series that he sent uh, to G. Hardy, a famous mathematician in the UK, and they were like blown away by by the, this work. And they invited him there. And famously, you know, what G. Hardy, you know, asked him was, "Okay, this is unbelievable, but where are the proofs? How are you doing yeah. this?" And he was like, "Well, she was giving them to me in my dreams." Um, And and so that's one thing. And then the final one that I'll give is, um, you know, you you talked about somebody working on a hard problem and then, you know, closing their eyes and and they get kind of a hint, as you kind of say. So there's a famous, uh, you know, called Kukla's Dream, this guy who was working on trying to discern um, the structure of the benzene molecule. And he had a dream of a snake eating its tail. And the structure of a benzene molecule is a circle of carbon atoms. And so... You know this history of discovery and dreams is, is very long. And, and so if you can imagine you know, in the same way that like the history of fire does not start with humans' control of it. When lightning strikes a field, there is fire. Um, yeah. But when you can control it and then you, you, and, and time evolves, you don't only have fire so that you can warm yourself or digest you – know, externally digest food. But eventually you control that fire in an internal combustion engine and start the industrial evolution. And so I would expect it to be no different uh, with with respect to lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming, you can imagine, is, is maybe the equivalent of the internal combustion engine, um, where instead of you know creating an industrial revolution, we create kind of a noetic you know a noetic revolution, um, or you know and so on.
1: What do you think would be some second order effects if something like this gets a very wider option in the future? What could
0: potentially happen then? <coughs> It's a great – yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, I'll I'll say (coughs) a number of things. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So first of all, you know, if this is widely available, like with anything, there will be a distribution. And I expect, you know, 80% of people will really use this for purely kind of recreational purposes. You know, it's this ultimate VR experience where what you imagine becomes – a smaller percentage of people still will probably use it for productive reasons as well. Like they'll use it for recreational, you know, uh, recreational purposes, but maybe you're a scientist or an artist or an architect or a designer, and you might want to use these lucid dreams for your, you know, your actual professional pursuits. I mean, we have investors who code in their lucid dreams and run the code in the morning, for example. Um, and then the third point is this kind of metaphysical exploration. I think a very small percentage of people – I would hope that it would be more, but let's just say realistically that it's a smaller percentage of people. I call these people the Darwins of consciousness Um, because if we think about what Darwin did, right? He goes on the USS Beagle. He he goes to the Galapagos, looks at a bunch of finches, and of course I'm simplifying. But through that derives one of the most fundamental principles of reality. And So the question I always ask myself is, who are going to be the Darwins of consciousness? The people who go into this lucid dream state and sit and observe, and who has the power of of deduction and, and observation sufficient to potentially derive, you know, potentially maybe derive the the, the the fundamental theory of consciousness through that? It would of course require then um you know other empirical, you know, um, you know, study. I mean, we did not have the equations of, of evolution or the understanding of DNA, of the structure of DNA, but we did get natural selection and evolution well before that. So um, that would be my hope in terms of the widespread adoption. Um, but I will say this one final thing, which is, you know, if you think about our current moment in in, in, in 2024 now, um, you, you kind of have this thing where we're, we're hyper materialistic, increasingly hyper secular. And you look at a lot of consumer behavior, whether it's, you know, the Balenciaga you know, uh, you know, sh- you know, shoes or, um, you know, or the, the meditation retreat, I think there's an enormous yearning to fill that quote-unquote God-shaped hole that is left over. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell yeah. you, Keshav, I don't have a God-shaped hole. Lucid dreaming, yeah. uh, 18 years of, of this experience has really given me – you know, the, the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming is not only the experience itself but what it gives you in the waking world. The world is just more enchanted as a result, and you have less, you know, lucid dreamers have far lower rates of depression, far lower rates of existential angst. And so, I would hope if it was widely available, we could see that, um, that relief on a broader basis of society. And also, if you think about what religions did for people, is they, you know, you'd go to a church, a synagogue, a mosque, a temple. And you would go, and, and you would have a shared spiritual experience, a shared metaphysical experience, and that was very good at creating cohesive societies. And we obviously see our societies yeah. being very kind of um, at a crossroads. And so, maybe um, you know, uh, the, you know, the the, the experience uh, on a wide scale could also alleviate that. I love this answer. I
1: have I've thought a lot about this gap that exists between. Uh, like that hole that you mentioned and I think a lot of people do things to fill that hole uh, let's say people who are in their 40s uh, are now buying cars that are not for their age or buying sure. stuff that's not for their age just to uh, like because they have all this money uh, <coughs> but uh, they they have this big hole and I think with teenagers it's like especially in current age current times they have uh, someone in India also mentioned this uh, his, his name is Kunal Cha, he's a founder of cred and later free charge. He mentioned that teenagers have all their uh, party plans sorted, everything is planned, but they lack purpose in life. Like they don't have an anchor yet. And that's the thing that they are chasing. I think uh, this will potentially be a lot of help to to (coughs) all those people. So one one particular problem I think that you might be facing currently is that because it's a very unique concept, it's hard to market it to people, right? Uh, It's very difficult to uh, help them understand. So if we draw an analogy between what you are building and what Christopher Nolan presented in the movie Inception, uh, how how good does it? How good is it, or is it something more <laughs> than that as well?
0: Well, yeah. So obviously, like that is the biggest cultural signpost that people can kind of grab onto to to go to yeah. this. Um, there's also another movie that I think is better called Waking Life, which is less known but by, by 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 Richard Linklater, which I always recommend people. Obviously, one of my favorite movies, but. With respect to Inception, uh, the, the, the the differences, right, are one, they're using some kind of chemical agent, right, uh, you know, to, to, to yeah. do this as opposed to transcranial focused ultrasound, which we use. Um, so they don't use neuromodulation. And then two is, you know, you can co-dream, right? You can share share your dream dreams with people, which yeah. is not what, you know, people talk about this. You know, there are people who say that they've… Um, you know, drunk, drunk with others I've been lucid dreaming for 18 years I've never come across anyone you know uh, you know in my, in my lucid dreams um, I, I leave my mind open to that but you know what we're talking about here is an experience personal to you um, not something that you you know, will, will, you, know uh, you know are sharing with others maybe sometime in the future maybe that's possible I actually tweeted about how I thought you could potentially do that where you know you you, you uh if you indulge me You you know, you can have two people, you know, who have halos on, they're they're in dreams. And, you know, my co-founder, Wes, I found him using neural transformers uh, where he was using EEG to do things like decode internal monologue. And so what we could do is you can imagine a world where you can decode the internal monologue of people while they're in a dream. And then you can use an AI, uh, you, you know, an AI to basically create like a synthetic version of that person's voice and 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 audit- auditorily pump it through you know i don't know uh, you know headphones um, and then you could you know you'd probably experience this as like a voice from god in your in your lucid dream but potentially yeah. maybe you for all, for all i know you could embody it then in a dream character of that person and then maybe then you could coach him i don't know you're, you're definitely you would still have variations in what you guys are experiencing but you could potentially yeah but, the, but 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 to start um you know that's those are the two core differences between inception and what we're talking about where we are, where where there are similarities is, um, you know, just the malleability, right, of the dreams in, 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 in Inception, right, the ability to what you imagine becomes, the ability to fold Paris in on itself, you know, and create mm-hmm. these extraordinary worlds that could not be possible in the real world. That's extremely valid. Um, and frankly, in lucid dreams, it's it's actually a little bit. It, it, they can be a there there can be a lot more intensely different than the waking world, where like. You know, the materials of the of the world and the environment are, are, are like made of these materials that do not exist in the real world and they're very yeah. kind of psychedelic and interesting in nature. Um, and then the final thing I would say, you know, is the time dilation that they talk about in Inception is certainly also accurate to a lucid dream. You know, a REM cycle is only twenty minutes, but you can have a lucid dream that feels like an hour, hour and a half if it's not whoa. longer, maybe.
1: Uh, I, I didn't know that (laughs) that's, that's so, so interesting. How do you see VR virtual reality and, uh, the halo coexisting, like, will they be in the same space or, uh, yeah, something else?
0: Sure. Um, two things here. One is obviously right. Like one is dealing with, you know, the time you are asleep and and one is dealing with the time you are awake. awake. Um, so that's obviously key difference. Number one, but key difference number two, I I wrote uh, a piece on this. You can find it on our blog um, about something we call noetic sovereignty, which is this idea of um, y- you know in in VR or AR or whatnot. What 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 those people are trying to do is fill the contents of your consciousness. If you look at the amount of money being <laughs> being spent <coughs> for AR VR, I mean. You have to build the initial hardware, but you then have to spend a lot of time and money, whether you're developers or the provider of the hardware itself, building the content for those experiences. And so they're really just trying to fill the contents of your consciousness. Conversely, what we're doing is we're bringing you to a brain state where you're you're the controller of the contents of the consciousness. What you imagine becomes. You fill the contents of your consciousness with whatever you imagine. And so in that way, they're very different. Um, and so that, that I think is a, you know, the key two differences. I think they can absolutely coexist. Um, I will say that you know, one thing that I, honestly worries me a little bit um, is, is that I, I have all the reason in the world to believe that really what you know, Meta and Apple want to do is they want to merge neurotechnology with ARVR. And what they would want to do, right, is to create these closed a closed loop system between, you know, maybe your dopamine or serotonin levels, uh, or even EEG signals, and 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 try to, you know, feedback content to you that keeps you in, you know, a high level of dopamine or, or serotonin, and and yeah. that to me is a little scary. Um, yeah. Not a little scary. I'm being actually judicious there. Like that's a very concerning thing. I do have a lot of concerns on on kind of you know, ethical, you know, societal grounds with the, you know, medium term development of AR and VR uh, as it merges with neurotechnology. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I, uh, what I would, think, what I'd say.
1: I think that's also then brings us the question of alignment and uh, that's a very broad topic about how we, how we we'll align AI uh, and yeah, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's something that can obviously happen very hard to stop that from happening. So I wanted to also understand, uh, will the device, the halo also be able to save dreams that people are, uh, are have imagined. Let's say I, I imagine I had a dream today. Can I also view it? Like, can I view an interpretation of it? What the device interprets the other day? Is it something that's, that you're thinking
0: of? So um, we have the app and the app has the ability, um, Uh, where you you can go and uh, basically, you know, write, you know, it it was like a social, like a a social network meets a dream journal. So you write, you know, what it is that you, um, you know, what it is that you dreamt about, right? Um, We can also pair it with like, you know, generative AI where, you know, and as these things improve, you know, not only is it an image maybe that that's very close to what you, you know, you dreamt. But you know, if you look at things like runway and so on and so forth, maybe even a, a, a time lapse video of what you did. Um, but it is not the same thing as taking neural data and and using yeah. you know um, artificial intelligence to visualize it that way. I've seen research where people are using fMRI um, you know uh, data to 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 show what people are, are are visualizing. But as I've looked into those papers. Um, you know they train these models on very small subsets of objects, and so that's really what they're doing. If you think about okay. your entire phenomenological experience, like just look at in front of yeah. you right now, Keshav. Think about the textures, the colors, the objects, the refraction of light, so on and so forth. It's like the hardest data labeling problem in existence, and so yeah. we we'd be decades away from something like that. I think. Um, dude, dude, dude. And, and I will and I will tell you this. I, you know, back to that nootic, noetic sovereignty point. I'm not sure people would really want that. They may think they want that, but your conscious experience is the single most intimate thing you have. It is the one yeah. thing, right? That is solely yours. Do you yeah. really want to have, you know, um, you know, mind reading where where that's now that that's so you're, you're now kind of you're naked in the most real sense? And yeah. I'm not sure about that. I think that we might want to like have, you know, some lines in the sand, you know, societally on that.
1: Yeah, I read this article from MIT Media Lab. Uh, very, It's been a while since I read it. Uh, and they had a discussion on this only that your dreams are a form of data that's the most sacred, well-protected data that's out there right now, that it's not being used to train anything. And if that, if, and there was research that uh, you can interpret dreams. There was this talk on the AI dilemma very famous talk on YouTube, uh, and yeah, that's that's very scary if that happens because then then every like then there will be very very different use cases emerging from that, and it will be very hard to prevent that from happening.
0: So yeah, uh, that, that, that's exactly yeah. correct, Keshav. Like just to say one final thing uh, on that, you know, this technology, I, I know it sounds surprising for people to hear, is inevitable. Transcranial yeah. focus ultrasound is the integrated circuit moment for non-invasive BCI. There are a flurry of companies that you're going to see in 2024, 2025, using this technology. So the question you have to ask yourself, and this is the same thing that you see in the artificial intelligence, you know, space, um, where it's like the technology is here. It is inevitable. The question you have to ask yourself is not, how do we stop this? The question is, how do we integrate this in a healthy way into our society? And so that, that's definitely the key thing. We take it extremely seriously at prophetic which is why we wrote the piece on Noetic Sovereignty and we'll continue to kind of develop a suite of ideas that we think can get this conversation started. We want to have this conversation um, with, with more people. It will be a bigger conversation in the next two years. Um, so, But but, it's, but but you can't stop it. You have to ask yourself, what, what do we do now that we have it?
1: True, true, true. Also, one of the questions which I wanted to ask was that, so I think Midjourney CEO also wrote this uh, a while back. So currently they're focusing only on images, uh, but uh, I think the next step forward is that they want to imagine synthetic 3D structures uh, developing with the text input. So mm-hmm. is it like, let's say if I am, I am, I'm using the halo and currently my imagination is the only limit that limiting factor in the, in the dreams that I'm experiencing. So mm-hmm. uh, is it possible can that I can give a text input? let's say this is something that I want to dream about uh, and and I can dream about that thing
0: I mean the thing is it's like the, that's a, you don't need to do that step right because just yeah, okay. go into the lucid dream and imagine it you know what I mean
1: do, 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 do. but uh, imagining is hard uh, like it's very it's a very different control
0: uh, I actually will give you that I'll, I will give you that k shop and I'll give you an example that literally happened I had a lucid dream on like Monday or something like that okay and I was sitting in this beautiful unbelievably beautiful field and I remember I was like I want to make a flower grow out of the ground that's that's what I wanted to do and so I put my hand out kind of like Jedi style you know and I'm very focused on the 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 act of it growing out of the ground and the flower that like actually came out was like a little it was really weird it kind of looked like it, it, it didn't look like a flower it kind of looked like like the stem was a flower, but like the actual, like uh, the actual flower itself kind of looked like it was like a sugar glazed, like candy or something like that. And it was kind of malformed. So I, I understand what you're saying where they're you know, you know, cause really, and then I was talking about it with, my, with somebody on our team and he was like, I think you were probably way too focused on the process of it growing out of the, yeah. uh, of the ground, as opposed to what it would look like. But I also think that that's a function of, of just like, you know, doing this more, and I think people will be, will get better at that. Um, but, but even to your question of whether or not we could, you know, you, again, it's back to that same data labeling problem, which is like, we would have to have a real understanding about the neural correlate of like, and I don't even think this is possible to be honest with you, of like what that object is in your brain and then stimulate that with TFUS, right? Um, and we only focus on the prefrontal cortex. So, should that be anywhere else in the brain, we wouldn't be able to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Got it. Because, like,
1: uh, even with me, uh, I am luckily one of those few people who can lucid dream, and I do it quite often uh, without any uh, any hardware device, and it's it's very fascinating to me. But sometimes, whenever I'm in a lucid dream, I'm also uh, because I'm also aware that I am in a dream. I sort of feel rushed that I don't want to don't want to end. So it becomes a little harder to control certain aspects of it. So, yeah.
0: yeah and, and, and then again, this would be, this would be hopefully something that because you now have this tool that technologically gives it to you, that you feel yeah. less rushed. Like, you know, you're going to you do can it have it again, you know, yeah. next week.
1: <laughs> now I can do it uh, whenever I want to. So yeah, definitely, definitely that, that won't be the problem then. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So the last question, which I wanted to ask you is that, uh, if let's say someone wants to work at prophetic. Uh, Mm -hmm. what are some key qualities that they should have you can answer it in the most abstract form as possible uh, for all the roles that you're hiring for
0: sure um i i think like number one is like you this has to be something that like you, you literally feel like it's part of like your your life's purpose and mission is to help build this. You know, yeah. you really want people who are fervent about what they're working on because when people are fervent about what they're working on, they just work harder. They think about it you know all the time. And, you know, I mean, I'll give you a sense, you know, people on the team think about this so often that the rate of the team having lucid dreams is increased because they're just, you know, they're thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Um, so you know, most importantly, is people who are just obsessed and enthralled by what it is we're doing here. I think it's one of the coolest things in the world to work at this company, and I want people who appreciate that. I have enormous senses of gratitude that I get to work on this, and I want everyone else to you know to have that. Number two is people who have really you know a, a lot of kind of lateral thinking and a broad base of knowledge that they have uh, across many different paradigms. and and spectrums because you never know like I mean Wes my co-founder is is so good at bringing things from you know music and other things it's like music and then and then he pairs it with something in neuroimaging and then he you know and then he in the artificial intelligence and so having that ability to kind of think laterally is very good at unlocks uh from a technological perspective you know development perspective um and then maybe the final thing I would say is you know the the, the the areas you know concretely that you know that, that that we're you know we're looking for we we aren't hiring right this right this second we have a, an awesome team uh, an awesome lean team that I think is well capable of getting to where we need to go right now but you know there are not that many people in the world who are working on on, on TFUS transparent focused ultrasound and so hiring people who are you know uh, incredible in that, that that area is definitely a target people who are working on multimodal transformer models. Um, who they don't, they, you know, they don't, they don't need to, to, to have a big understanding of neuroimaging, but they have yeah. to understand, you know, the architectures of multimodal, you know, transformers. Um, and then of course, neuroimaging, we use a very unique neuroimaging modality in order to build these data sets, And so, you know, the, the, those are kind of the three core technical areas, uh, you know, that we're looking to hire in electrical engineering falls into, you know, that as well. So, um, okay. You know that that's kind of who who we're looking for you know and and um you know in in some ways right like <coughs> like for example on the ultrasound side or, or even on the multimodal side though the talent pool for multimodal architectures is obviously growing by the day because ai is such a phenomenon right um there's a real benefit to having a very small pool of people who work on something because uh it allows you to very targetedly reach out to them and they don't have as many opportunities chasing them whereas now you have you know, big tech companies who are looking for people who do multimodal architectures and then well-funded big startups who are working on multimodal, you know, so it's, it's, even though it's a grown pool, it's also a harder pool to competitively get like the best people in the world to, to work on your company. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- those are like kind of the three things that I would say.
1: Thanks a lot. Uh, I, I had a great time hosting you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. I love this answer. Uh, thank, you thank you so you- much for having me, Kishab.